We've got that little intro video, and honestly, I can say one thing I rarely think about, if ever, is the foundation of my home. Uh, but I think if we're all honest, we know the importance of the foundation of our home. Uh, if you don't, you can ask my friend who's in the insurance business back in the back back there, Russell, how important the foundation of your home is. Because if you've got foundation issues, you're going to have issues in all kinds of way in your home, right? I mean, it, it enables you to enjoy everything that we take for granted about our homes, the safety, the security um, that our homes provide all starts with the foundation, and the same can be said of our faith. If we don't have a solid foundation in our faith, then it comes and goes. It, it, it rides on the waves of our emotions and circumstances of life and what's going on in the culture. But when our foundation is strong, it provides us stability and security to be able to enjoy everything that God intended for you to be able to live in and endure and enjoy in life because you have a firm foundation. Now, this is a great concept. We can understand this. But the fact is, when we have these voids in our life, the important things that provide that stability and foundation sometimes get pushed to the wayside because of the other things that are just filling and consuming those voids in our life. Often, you know, I ask people, hey, how are you doing? And the most common response I get is busy, busy, busy. As a matter of fact, uh, one of you this very morning, I asked you how you were doing and your response was busy, busy. You know who you are. So, uh, and it's true. I, I mean, we say that and the truth is we are busy because so much of life just fills all of that extra room. And sometimes it's not even that life is busy. Sometimes we just convince ourselves that being busy makes us important or needed or productive. And Jesus, as he models life, teaches us a very different way, a different model for maneuvering through life than we often do. A couple of weeks ago, Stephen had a great message about the importance of us doing this, gathering together, being a community with one another. Last week, David had a great message about solitude and time alone with God. These are foundational. Being able to spend time alone with God and being able to gather together as God's people, these are part of the foundation of what God would have us to do to maneuver through life. We see this modeled in Jesus's life as he makes it a priority to gather together. And he also makes it a priority to spend time in solitude, seeking the Father. Today, we want to look at another thing that we see in Jesus's life. There was a core principle of his life and practice, and that is Scripture. Reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it. And uh, just a side note here, uh, I would say for many years of my life, that word meditate kind of threw me for a loop because I just immediately mentally associated it with something kind of new age, right? Um, and that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about meditate, we're talking about mentally chewing on it, 
thinking about it, processing it, pondering it. What, what does this mean? How does it apply? God, what are you saying to me in the midst of this? That is meditating on it. You're, we're all meditating on something every day. Those things that get stuck in your head and just bounce around, or maybe when you're half awake in the middle of the night and they just keep bouncing around. We, we meditate on something all the time. Meditating on scripture is a primary practice that we should put into our lives because the more we think on it, the more it, get lo- it get lo- gets lodged in our memories. And I have found over and over and over again that in my daily reading of scripture, there may be sometimes when I feel like, okay, I've read the word today and it doesn't particularly give me specific direction of Adam. This is what you're supposed to do today. Go say this, go do that. But sometimes it just puts the word down in my heart for that moment that I need it. And God's Holy Spirit brings it to my memory that I can recall it. Jesus himself and Scripture, Jesus did not have a Bible per se, right? I mean, because the New Testament is written about the life of Jesus, but the, the whole of Scripture, all of the content of Scripture is telling us the story and the plan of God of which Jesus is part of. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and Jesus himself is very familiar with Scripture, even from a young age. We see in Luke chapter 2, verse 43, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, likely 10 to 12 or so at this time, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So side note here, Mary and Joseph are not helicopter parents. They're with a group of people who now leave town and Jesus decides to stay back they don't even notice. They walk for at least a day. I mean, that's their mode of transportation, right? At this point, they walk for a day before one of them goes, do you know where Jesus is? I thought you knew where Jesus was. And they have one of those parent moments like we probably all had where we go, oh no, where where is our child? Uh, And so it says in verse 46, after three days, They found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus, even as a preteen boy, had this amazing understanding and processing of scripture. Now, if you're like me, you go, well, yeah, he's... Jesus, (laughs) right? I mean, he's got a little bit of an advantage to the rest of us, which I would say is true. He is the son of God, but yet even though he's fully God, he's also fully human. And we know that he learned to walk. He learned to talk. He learned to smile. He learned to socialize all those things that are part of human development. We even know through scripture, he feels pain. He feels grief. He feels joy. So yes, I would say he has an advantage in learning and knowing the scripture that it's already embedded within him, but he's also growing in it. Luke's account ends this way in verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus continues to grow in his understanding 
Commenting on this particular passage, John Calvin says, it takes nothing away from his glory, neither does it degrade him, that he chose not only to grow in body, but to make progress in mind. Fully God, fully human, growing even as God made man in his understanding of Scripture. So Jesus, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, he gathers together with believers. He also gets away in solitude. He's growing in his understanding of Scripture. Jesus gives much focus to Scripture, so much so that by the time he's 30, we catch up with him in John's gospel, John 7, 14 and 15. It says this, not halfway through the festival did Jesus, uh, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus understood. Scripture was deep within him. Even Jesus would respond to these these men who had dedicated their lives to memorizing Scripture over and over and over again. This is what they do. Jesus would correct them, like in Matthew 2, 3, Jesus would say to them, Matthew 12, 3, excuse me, haven't you read in the scriptures? And he refers to David and his companions, why they were hungry. So Jesus would tell these, these, these experts in the scripture, he would say, haven't you read? Don't you understand? And he would explain to them what the scripture meant. Now, here is where the link between Jesus and you and I comes into play. It is upon that same foundation of the understanding of God's purpose, God's word to us, that Jesus' very life was built on, that he invites you and I to build our lives upon. Your life, your family, your purpose can be built on the very same Foundation, the very same powerful word of God that the life of Christ was built on. He invites you to immerse yourself in God's word just as he did. Now, keep in mind, just because you are familiar with the word of God, it does not necessarily make you more Christ-like You all know probably people who can cherry pick verses to sound very theological and smart and do it simply to advance their own agendas. You know people who can quote scripture, but yet they're jerks. We have to let the word of God get in us in a transformational way because the word of God is powerful. It should cause us to become more like Jesus. It's a little bit cliche, but we want scripture to get into us and us to get into scripture. Even in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about how Jesus washes the church, us, with his word. It's his word that is meant to purify us, to shape us, to transform us, to change the way that we see our neighbors, to change the way that we treat others, 
the way that we speak, the way we understand his purpose in the world. Stored away deep within us so that when we face trials, when we face temptations, when we face just ordinary days, when we face the great moments of life, we respond with godliness. We respond in the way God calls us to be. So I want us to take a, a, a moment to look at a few things that Scripture does in our lives and how we can interact with that. And I think the first thing we have to begin with, we need to see the value of Scripture within our lives. If you see it as irrelevant, there's no point to really interact with it in your life. But if you understand that the Word of God can be God speaking to you, God directing you, God preparing you, you can see the value of Scripture. We see this in Jesus' own life. As, as he interacts with Scripture and uses it uh, with the situations that he faces in life early in Jesus' ministry, many of you will remember this, he's taken to the wilderness and he's, he fasts for 40 days and there he's tempted by Satan. Satan comes to him. He says, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread? You know how it gets when you're hungry, right? I mean, for some of you, that's just like between meals, right? But if you have to go without for a while, you know how some of that food that you would never eat starts looking and sounding good? Even that sounds good. Here's Jesus, fully God, fully man, and Satan comes to tempt his flesh to say, Essentially, I know you're hungry. You could make that bread. You could turn that into Texas Roadhouse Rolls right now. <laughs> Do it. Do it. What's it going to hurt? You're hungry. Go ahead. Jesus answered, Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice Jesus isn't denying his hunger, his physical need, but he is affirming even more powerfully that what he truly relies on is God's word. I may be hungry, but my soul is what needs nourishment. We live in a culture where people's souls are starving and they're consuming spiritual junk food, fake food, or no food at all. And even, this is a whole other message, but the church has been guilty of serving up a bunch of junk food. And we need to be serving the word of God, the bread of God. Jesus is making the point here. Your soul needs sustenance, and the Word of God is what feeds us. I think um, in our culture, there are, are many appetite suppressants that keep us from consuming the Word of God. And even, honestly, I, re I read my Bible most often digitally, but it is so easy to get distracted, Right? to tap and to scroll. And sometimes you find yourself clicking on an app without even thinking about it. It's just muscle memory, right? It's in there. I read a study this week. The average person touches 
their phone, touch, type, swipe, 2,617 times a day. I mean, considering you're typing a sentence, you're touching it multiple times. That's the average user. Heavy users can be multiplied per day. We're hungry for information. We're hungry for meaning. We're hungry for purpose. And Jesus reminds us here, it's the word of God that we live on. C.S. Lewis wrote this. I love this quote. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. And we are so guilty of stuffing ourselves with empty calories. As the enemy says, here's your bread. Eat this. You don't, you don't need to read the Bible again. We need to see the value of scripture in our lives. Imagine if our souls had multiple touches with God's word every day. It's the common ground where God meets with us, where his Holy Spirit speaks to us and interacts with us and shapes our lives. May your prayer this week be, God, increase my appetite for your word. Not out of obligation or religious duty, but because we're hungry for God's presence and purpose and direction in our lives. On that note, the second thing that I want to encourage you with in regards to Scripture in our lives, set realistic expectations. All of us, whatever category it may be in our lives, especially as we enter this new year and we say, I need to do better at this, I need to do less of that. If we try to take on too much, it can end in frustration and failure and we give up. God is simply inviting you to draw near to him He will draw near to you, James 4, 8. Take a step closer to him with your interaction with scripture. Uh, I mentioned, you know, that I read often uh, on my digital devices. The Bible app has so many great translations and, and Bible reading plans. It's all right there in front of you. If you don't know how to access that, I would be happy to walk you through that anytime where you can have that. Um, And certainly there's nothing wrong with opening a paper Bible, reading it as well. Set set a realistic uh, expectation for yourself though. A little bit of time every day in God's word. It's just like, I mean, exercise. If you haven't exercised in years, I wouldn't recommend starting with an Olympic training routine. Just take the first step. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, scripture is your trainer. It is to prepare you, to direct you, to guide you. Take that first step. Step. Our prayer this week can be God, 
What is the next step that I need to take in drawing near to you in my interaction with scripture? Slow and steady is okay. There there have been times in, in my interaction with scripture where sometimes a day will mean reading a whole chapter each time processing that. There's sometimes I've just read a verse to really try to let that sink in and speak to me. Slow and steady is okay. As a matter of fact, in all of our lives, slow and steady can lead to sustained progress. Sustained progress can lead to amazing places within our lives. There are great benefits to steady progress within our lives. I was reminded of a story this week that I'd heard years ago, and I thought, man, that's too good of a story not to tell. Uh, Some of you may have heard of the Australian potato farmer named Cliff Young, because I know you are up on your Australian potato farmers. There's, There's Cliff right there. This guy ran not a marathon. He ran an ultra marathon uh, years ago in Australia. Ultra, this particular ultra marathon, 544 miles. Now, just to give you some concept there, that would be the equivalent of running on your feet from San Antonio to New Orleans. It's a long run. World-class athletes would come and compete in this ultra marathon, which typically took five days to complete, which still sounds really fast to me, right? To run all those miles. Back in 1983, Cliff Young shows up to register for this ultra marathon. When he shows up to register, Mr. Potato Farmer is wearing his work boots and overalls. He gets his race bib, his number, and he goes to join the other runners who think this must be a joke. People are actually concerned for his safety. I think we've got a, yeah, there's a picture of him in his uh, boots running around. Cliff, though, he's not concerned because Cliff grew up poor and on a ranch. They had little to no equipment. When storms would come, the livestock would scatter and he would have to go chase them down on foot, sometimes covering thousands of acres, running for days at a time. So the starting gun fires, and as you can expect, all the runners leave Old Cliff behind. Did I mention he's 61 years old when he signs up for this as well? 61-year-old Cliff in his boots and overalls. And he doesn't just run like a runner. He, he kind of just shuffles along. He has this funny little gait as he runs. The race takes off. Typically how this race works, the runners run for 18 hours and then they sleep for six and repeat the cycle. Nobody explained that to Cliff though. Cliff just kept going. He just kept shuffling along, slow and steady, one by one, passing these athletes, shuffling along. When day five comes, Cliff finishes. He finished first, set a course record, 
And much to his surprise, he's awarded with a check for $10,000, which he had no idea was part of the deal. So he promptly turns around and gives $2,000 each to the other five runners that finish behind him. It's a neat story, but I know it'd be even neater if we had a video, right? Okay, we do. Let's run it real quick. He promptly gave two grand to each of the five other runners and kept nothing for himself. An impressive and generous man, that Cliff. Cliff, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Oh, no, I don't think so. That's such a cool story. Just one step after another. God is not asking you to run an ultra marathon, spiritually speaking. But could you just start taking the next step? We do have, before I forget, um, we've, we've got these uh, handy little pocket-sized books. It's just scripture. There's nothing else in it, no commentary or anything. Scripture of the life of Jesus. So scripture about Jesus, scripture of what Jesus said. And so I encourage you, pick one of these up in the back. Uh, they are free. Pick it up. Take, take some interaction with Scripture each day. What would happen if we just started taking another step and another step, saying, God, would you speak to me? God, would you, as, as this Scripture talked about, would you train me? Would you correct me? Would you build me up? Would you direct me as I read Scripture? Which leads us to the next thing. The first two have kind of been talking about uh, our approach to scripture, but the next three are going to talk about how scripture works within us. The next thing I want us to observe here is that we need to stay open to correction. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. When we read scripture, it's going to convict us. It's going to shape us and change us. As a matter of fact, if we read scripture and we're never convicted, we're probably not reading it thoroughly. We need to be open to God as he shapes us and molds us molds us. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. As we read the word of God, it makes us holy. In other words, making us hungry for the things of God, causing us to lose our appetite for those things that are not of him. May our prayer this week be 
God, would you help me to be open to your guidance as I read scripture? The next thing I want to encourage us to do in our interaction with scripture is to soak rather than just skim. You don't take a bath just to get wet. 30 seconds in the tub and you say, oh, that was so relaxing. I remember when I was a kid in our house growing up, we had one bathroom that had a shower, one bathroom that had a bathtub. When I was little, uh, we, we used the bathtub. That's where mama got us clean. Uh, so in the bathtub, you know, I had bubbles, toys, and in my case, my two brothers, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, and we would sit there until our fingers were wrinkly. We would call them old man fingers. Sit there in the water until the water was no longer warm. It got cold. In other words, we were soaked. The word of God should soak within our lives. If we are just passing through, reading it as quick as we can so we can check it off the list and move on with our day, we're going to miss what God wants to say to us. Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Let it dwell deep within us, soaking in it. Psalms 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, uh, in the sinners takes uh, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Soak, saturate, marinate on God's word within your life. May our prayer this week be God, would you saturate my life with your word? And lastly, as we read God's word, may we seek transformation and not just information. This was the flaw of the religious leaders in Jesus's day. They were experts in information. They could tell you all of the laws. They could tell you the details of the Old Testament, but it did not lead to their transformation. John 5, 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point towards me. All of scripture points us to Jesus. Jesus works within our lives to transform us. May our prayer this week, as we read scripture, be God lead me to Jesus. One last story for you. This is a man named Fadil. Fadil is an Iraqi refugee who is now living in Amman, Jordan. Life was uh, difficult for him having to be a refugee and seek safety. But to make it even more challenging, Fadil is also blind. The Navigator, some of you may be familiar with the Navigators, are active on many college campuses, very involved in discipleship. They took a group a few years back to Amman, Jordan. Some of them met Fadil. 
Seeing that he was blind, they gave him a solar-powered MP3 player that had an audio Bible on it in his language. Two to three years later, another group from the Navigators comes back. They're in Amman, and they reconnect with this man who was on their list, who had been met earlier, years prior, named Fidel. When they meet him again, they are stunned. Not only has he become a follower of Christ, but he has memorized 87 chapters of the Bible. He listened to it and memorized it. These, this group of navigators gather around and they listen to him recite the entire gospel of John. They didn't understand his language, but they heard every word the leader that was leading this group of navigators, a man who is not lacking for Bible knowledge or for resources, was humbled. He said this, Fidel is someone who would seem unremarkable by the ways of the world, but being in his small, modest home, being in the presence of greatness as God's word filled the room was a life-changing experience. What could scripture do in your life this year? If we place a high value on it, if we open ourselves to allow the word of God to work within us, if we allow it to be more than just a to do to check off of our list, if it begins to come, become what we're hungering for. Might it sustain our souls? Might it direct our lives this year? Might it work in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our own lives? We're going to close the service today by celebrating the Lord's table together as we take communion. In John, we see him describe when Jesus enters the world that the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus is crucified on the cross, his flesh is broken to pay the price for our sin, that he takes our place. As we take communion together, we are remembering this word that became flesh broken for us. So now the very son of God, his sacrifice makes way for the spirit of God to fill us. God's word, we take it in. It is within us. It transforms us. As we take part in communion, we remember his presence that has been made available to us. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search our hearts. Lord, that we would come to your table with repentant hearts, open to letting your word fill us and change us and lead us and direct us because we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Lord, let us come with clean hands and pure hearts today. Would you take a moment and search your heart? Ask for God's help. 
ask for his forgiveness, ask for his direction where you need it in your life. Josh and Step are going to lead us in a song. And as you're ready from the back of the room to the front, you can come up and take the elements and we will partake in them together here in just a moment.
While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's take the bread together. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it. All of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of Christ that paid the price and gives us your covenant, Father. Lord, may we live as your people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.